This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, April 3rd, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. Disparate impact analysis is at the Supreme Court. The idea is that even though your business didn't engage in discrimination against protected groups, the screening methods you've used had a disproportionately negative impact on those groups. Cato Institute senior fellow Walter Olson discusses what that means for the high court. It came in especially in the employment area, and it was the result of challenges to uh, hiring standards. For example, uh, a hiring standard of you have to be able to lift 75 pounds would uh, have disparate impact against many women, Uh, a standard that uh, we're only taking uh, uh, people who can pass this particular written test Uh, might have disparate impact against minorities who don't do as well on that test. And so when the Supreme Court approved disparate impact in employment, it led to waves of litigation uh, knocking out uh, various hiring practices, which continue to the present day. Uh, The federal government, for example, believes that asking people about their criminal records when they're applying for a job with you uh, will often have disparate impact, and so it should come under close and skeptical scrutiny, and employers should be forced to stop a lot of their inquiries about criminal records. So that's disparate impact in employment. We have heard much less because there's a much uh, shakier legal basis for disparate impact claims in areas like housing and uh, things related to housing like mortgages and property insurance and so forth. And that's what the Supreme Court will probably be deciding by this summer is does the Federal Fair Housing Act Uh, only ban disparate treatment where someone means to discriminate against uh, a house buyer or a tenant because of their race or religion? Or does it also ban disparate impact, meaning that if you've got a standard, uh, we will only take tenants with good credit records, for example. Uh, And that standard, as it almost certainly does, has disparate impact against a group. Can you be sued and forced to show that uh, it's absolutely necessary for your business to do that? The lawsuits will be, uh, if if the Supreme Court gives a green light to this, the lawsuits will be not just against the private sector, uh, but also against many governments. And it gets very interesting in that area because so much of local government has to do with issues of housing and real estate um, that the cases that keep coming before the Supreme Court, and I'll get to that in a minute because it has quite an interesting history in recent years. They have often involved issues of housing development, zoning, and so forth. And this is the third case in four years uh, in which it was thought that the Supreme Court would finally resolve this question after many years. But the uh, (coughs) history has been tricky because when the first of the three cases came up, the uh, with involving St. Paul, Minnesota, the Obama administration, uh, whose Department of Housing and Urban Development has been going to town with you know, enormous, uh, ambitious applications of disparate impact in housing, they were so convinced they were going to lose that they put the squeeze on the city and uh, arranged settlement so as to moot the case, as lawyers call it, and get it off the Supreme Court's docket. Uh, So then there came the term after that, a case from New Jersey. Looked like the New Jersey case was going to give the court a reason to do that. Well, surprise, it was settled. It was mooted too. Finally, they found in 
the state of Texas, someone who would not settle the case. And so this case is the state of Texas Department of Housing and, and Community Affairs versus the Inclusive Communities Project, which is the private group that sued Texas. And because Texas has not settled it, uh, we may actually get our opinion here. Now, the cases involve, uh, for example, uh, placement of low-income housing in the Texas controversy the uh, housing authority uh, in question uh, was placing new low-income housing projects uh, closer to the city center, um, which uh, it, rather than as the pressure group suing them wanted, out in more affluent outlying areas. And there are practical reasons to do it either way. Uh, um, the um, It's often thought that you will um, get some better social results if you spread around the housing projects. On the other hand, uh, it costs more money to buy in an expensive area. You're often not near public transportation. Often there isn't even uh, the demand for tenants to go out uh, to a longer commute of that sort. So, uh, and in, in fact, it was pointed out in the Texas case that uh, because it certainly was going to be more expensive to yield to the demands of the suit, they weren't going to get as much low-income housing out of it because it was going to be more expensive to build. So it's not clear whose interests were actually served by, by winning. But it, but it was a good disparate impact case because um, if nothing else, you could analyze statistically that there was some sort of uh, racially differential um, uh, result, even if no intent, uh, by the decision of where to put these housing projects. So. In other cases, you have uh, localities that have been uh, reluctant to build low-income housing at all. And the argument is, uh, well, because you don't apply for these federal funds, because you uh, insist on having only single-family houses, um, you are uh, effectively discriminated against people who would like to live in your community. Uh, <clears throat> Libertarians might be tempted to have mixed feelings about this because, after all, the more ways there are of knocking out zoning, uh, which you know, libertarians have a very justified critique of, of the bad things that zoning does. Uh, if this were only about knocking out zoning, uh, it would be, I suppose, on a different footing. But um, it isn't. It, it uh, brings in a, a great many things that libertarians are not going to like, for example, in uh, the underwriting of property insurance. Currently, they can consider uh, a wide range of factors that relate statistically to whether or not they're likely to lose um, a, a claim or, or, or whether a claim is going to be expensive. And if suddenly you um, uh, sweep that all off the table and say, no, you can't consider uh, credit records or um, records of nearby properties or whatever the things are that really uh, might statistically correlate with race or other qualities, then you disrupt uh, the ability of these markets to, to to clear at sensible prices. And uh, you are more likely to have the government stepping in well, 15 years from now with uh, insurance programs because, gee, the private property insurance market has failed. We have to have some uh, re replacement for it. So HUD, as I mentioned, has been extremely active. And one of the reasons probably why the Supreme Court was able to put off for so long a decision on this is that um, the litigation was more sporadic. Well, under the Obama administration, HUD has really, really tried to see what it could do in this area. And so it is, um, for example, it put out 
regulations on property insurance, which were promptly struck down by a federal judge as overreaching, uh, which attempted to ban consideration of some of the things that I was talking about. Uh, but in uh, perhaps the most high-profile case, they have used Westchester County, New York, the, the gen generally affluent suburban area, uh, as kind of the test case for disparate impact um, theories. And it's worth getting into the details of Westchester, but if only because it's it's not going to be just Westchester. It's coming to communities around the country if HUD wins uh, the, the point before the Supreme Court. Uh, Westchester has an uh, interesting and commendable history as um, often a pioneer in fair housing. Uh, it was a place where um, uh, well-off blocks could move when they were not allowed to move to many other places. Uh, it's generally a very liberal place. And uh, but like many northeastern uh, suburbs, it also has a strong tradition of home rule, which means that the towns are very powerful about what gets built there. And HUD took the position that uh, because towns like Chappaqua, where the Clintons live, uh, had built only a little bit of low-income housing, and when they did, it was right around the train station, uh, they were uh, in a uh, <clears throat> not doing their fair share. There was disparate impact from that. Uh, and they said, well, Westchester, uh, we consider you liable because you've got all these towns that are doing that. And Westchester responded, which you know, was kind of give you pause. Under New York law, we can't order the towns around. We don't have that authority. New York is very town-oriented. We can't do anything. <laughs> and HUD said, well, sorry, you're liable anyway, because we believe that if you had tried harder to make yourself politically obnoxious until they gave in, uh, you could have gotten uh, – so, so just to be clear, this is a federal agency that is uh, in, uh, attempting to alter state law? Well, it's trying to – right. It's, it's trying to uh, buffalo a – County into getting towns to change their their law and their practices. It's taken objection kind of to years and years worth of actions or inactions by the Westchester County government, uh, which have mostly consisted of leaving its towns alone rather than herding them all into an overall housing plan. And one of the issues that has many applications elsewhere is that Westchester has failed to enact uh, a so-called source of income ordinance. And uh, let me explain what these are. The federal government has a Section 8 program of housing vouchers for the poor, uh, which is widely accepted by landlords in many bigger cities. Um, often landlords, however, uh, distrust Section 8 uh, programs. Uh, not only do they get a lot of regulation if they join it, but they, some of them worry that the properties won't come out as well. And so liberal housing groups would like everyone to pass a law saying that landlords cannot, quote, discriminate between people in the program and not. They've got to take secondary tenants, even though that means they've got to accept a, a book full of regulations that comes with them. And Westchester has said, um, well, we're going to leave this issue to our elected county council. Um, they have refused to vote that in. Uh, you know, we, we can't make them vote it in uh, if they don't want to. And HUD says, you're out of compliance. Uh, uh, in our interpretation of disparate impact, uh, uh, if, if we've shown you that you uh, th that, that would help you make progress toward um, not having disparate impact, uh, you should have passed it. And so it's 
a lot is at stake, and the Supreme Court will be making its decision based on fairly dry statutory interpretation questions, uh, which limits, in a way, the importance of the case because next time Congress comes around and legislates in this area, they could clarify whether they want it or not. But Congress, as we know, loves being popular by not spelling out the actual implications. It like, loves to strike poses in favor of wonderful things like fair housing and then step back and not resolve uh, the more painful issues of whether or not you lose home rule in your town. So Congress is probably not looking forward to settling it. What the Supreme Court says this summer may wind up being the law for a long time to come. Walter Olson is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Read more of his work at Cato.org.